Well, good morning, everyone. There's a handout in the middle of the nave. If you haven't grabbed one yet, you can do so. If you don't know me, I'm James Arcadi. I'm the rector here at this uh, parish, and we're in the middle of this, um, not middle, we're towards the beginning of a series here in our catechesis hour on um, a sort of a Lenten series. I, th- I think the, the best phrase Mary used last week to introduce it is to talking about clearing away the debris in our lives as we are in a season uh, of, of preparation or on the cusp of a season of preparation, thinking about those great mysteries of Christ's death and, and resurrection, and there many things that get in the way uh, in, our, in our lives, a lot of debris that can accumulate in our lives. And so we're thinking about some of the ways in which we um, are ministered to by God to clear away some of that debris. So let's pray, and then we'll get started in thinking about one such way. Heavenly Father, we ask for your presence here uh, to be with us. Uh, would you um, enlighten our minds and, and, and inflame our hearts to know and to love you? Help us to think clearly about what you've uh, communicated to us through your word and through the tradition, and we do so for your glory. In your son's name, amen. So we're going to talk about the right of the reconciliation of penitence, which is kind of a long name for confession or absolution. If you want to grab a prayer book, they're in your pew somewhere, and we're going to look at that liturgy or this rite here in a second. Uh, So you might just want to grab there. It's on page 223 if you kind of want to flip there while I'm giving these kind of introductory comments. Um, Confession, I think, is is, uh, one of these practices in the church that we often think we have a good idea about, but then we realize maybe those ideas are from our uh, watching various movies, you know, The Godfather, other kinds of things, or you can imagine someone in a dark room and they're, they're talking about all these mafia hits they've done and whatnot, and then... You know, that's the kind of maybe impression we get of confession from, uh, from Hollywood. Or also, it's a much more common practice within the Roman Catholic tradition, and less so within most Protestant traditions. Although I, will, um, I do remember that uh, Luther said something like, uh, no, no person is forgiven unless he confessed to a priest. Uh, well, I'm not quite sure what he meant by that. It's, not, it's a little stronger than, than my view on things, but even within the Protestant tradition, this has been a, uh, a practice that is, um, that, that's present, but not as prevalent as it might have been in the Roman Catholic tradition. So, but we're Anglicans, and so we're going to be looking at the Anglican understanding of uh, the reconciliation of penitence or confession. I just kind of use those terms interchangeably. Confession, I mean, just, that's just a linguistic habit that we have. We think about um, confession, um, and, and so that's kind of what I'll be, what I say. But I, but I mean uh, the reconciliation, this whole sort of like right that we have in the prayer book, as well as the absolution that we have in other parts as well, parts of our liturgy. So we, we get a confession and absolution, a couple points uh, in our prayer book. Um, one that you're probably most familiar with is on Sunday morning, um, after the prayers and before the peace, we do a confession of our sins, and we have an absolution that occurs at that point as well. That might be the most common place that you're familiar with that. But also in the daily office, if you pray evening or morning prayer, there's a confession and absolution that takes place in that location as well. Uh, and, and that's all part of this sort of package of, of confession and absolution. And then we have a specific rite, a specific liturgy of um, confession found in the prayer book, which is for um, a, a kind of a standalone occurrence of the same kind of thing that occurs in the Eucharist and in morning prayer. 
So now we're, we're thinking about the question, well, what is, uh, what is confession? What is absolution? Um, is, it a, is it a sacrament? Well, maybe. So here's the definition from our, our catechism. Um, uh, or so here's a, here's a description of our uh, of sacraments from our, um, our catechism, which we commonly think of baptism and the Lord's Supper as sacraments. But are there other ones as well? And so the catechism says this. Other rites and institutions commonly called sacraments include confirmation, ordination, marriage, absolution, and the anointing of the sick. These are sometimes called sacraments of the church. So there's like this dispute within church history about how many sacraments there are. In the Roman Catholic system, you've got seven sacraments, those ones listed there, plus the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. Many of the Protestants in the 16th century said, no, there's only got to be two sacraments here, the Lord's Supper and baptism. That was especially with the Reformed on the continent we're really arguing for. Um, the Anglicans, taking kind of a middle way, would adopt either of those perspectives or sort of a middle ground, which would say, well, maybe we have two sacraments ordained by the Lord and then five sacraments of the church. So there are specific instances where, where Jesus says, do this with respect to the Lord's Supper and with baptism. And then the church has uh, received these other practices, these other um, ceremonies, commonly called sacraments at times, like confirmation and marriage and ordination and the like. And so, so confession, absolution, fits in with that latter category there. So I tend to call it a sacrament just because it's sort of, again, linguistically easier to do instead of saying sacrament of the church or sacramental rites. So, but I'm, I'm not too worried if you want to hold fast to like two sacraments and, and only two sacraments. And that's what the question number 125 says there in the, um, in the catechism, that these uh, sacraments differ in that they were not ordained by Christ as necessary to salvation, but arose from the practices of the apostles and the early church, or were blessed by God in scripture, and God clearly uses them as a means of grace. And that phrase right there, means of grace, I think is one of the key things and, and key aspects of how we think of all the sacraments or, or sacramental rites. A, a means of grace, that's like a, a, a mode or a pathway by which God's grace comes to us. And I'm kind of a, of, a, of a mind that God's grace comes to us in like tons of different ways. And so God isn't restricted or, or limited. You know, God's not like some kind of a, a genie who can only, you know, act through the, the magic words that you've used, not only through the Lord's Supper, not only through scripture, that God dispenses grace and dispenses. That's kind of a crass term too, like he's some kind of like, uh, whatever, uh, soda machine or something like that. But the ways in which God gives grace is, is just over and abundant. We, we get grace from all kinds of places. We get grace from interactions with one another. We get grace from looking outside and walking around. We get grace from hearing scripture and from praying ourselves. Um, but there are some practices that are sort of like more uh, tried and tested or maybe kind of more guaranteed to be dispensing grace, so to speak, such as our engagement with word and then sacraments, as we like to say. And when we think about the sacraments, um, one common definition that we use within our tradition comes from St. Augustine, which talks about a, uh, where he talks about a sacrament being an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace or inward and spiritual reality. So something, uh, something outward and visible or tangible even, and there's something inward or spiritual. And we see that most clearly maybe in something like baptism. We have baptism, we have an outward sign of, of water being poured on individuals. It's very tangible. But the, the inward reality, the inward grace, is the, the cleansing of sins, the washing of sins that comes through the blood of Christ. Or likewise in the Lord's Supper, we have the outward signs of bread and of wine, 
And then the inward um, reality, the inward grace, is, is the body and blood of Christ that we are then joined to and, 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 and infused into a union with Christ by means of the Holy Spirit. Reconciliation or confession, likewise, I think, has this shape. The outward and visible sign is the, is the actually in this sense, it'd be more of an auditory sign, but it's the, it's the verbal expression of sin by the penitent and then the, the verbal expression of absolution by the minister. These are the tangible, physical things. But the inward grace, the inward reality, is the forgiveness of sins. And like with all the sacraments, the grace comes from God alone, but the outward sign is a, is a means or a medium by which this grace um, comes to us. So I think that um, confession, reconciliation here has a, the same kind of shape as our other sacraments do, and so it can be thought of as a sacrament uh, as well. But I think confession also falls within maybe in, uh, sort of a, a messy intersection um, between other pastoral practices, we might say, like pastoral care, um, spiritual direction, psychological therapy. How does confession relate to these other kinds of ways in which you can be ministered to? Uh, and I tend to think that, uh, that, that we are we are multifaceted individuals that have multifaceted challenges um, that, we, that we face, and I think that means that we need multifaceted um, treatments, so to speak, for the, the challenges that we, that we, that we face. Um, and uh, you know, ministers, pastors, and, and, and lay pastors as well come alongside you to help out with one aspect of the maybe the multifaceted nature of our challenges, but then we, you, get, you need a whole team sometime to deal with all the challenges you have. You know, it's like if you've got some kind of health issue, something wrong with your body, you know, you get your general practitioner, your, your, your PCP, but sometimes you need to go to specialists, and maybe you need a few specialists to help you out with all the ailments that you're, you're uh, afflicted with. That, that makes total sense. Um, likewise, if you're in a, facing spiritual, emotional, mental challenges, you might need a whole team of, of, of approach, uh, uh, helping you to approach how to seek healing for this ailment. Maybe this is psychological therapy from a trained psychologist. Maybe it's psychiatry with some sort of medicinal uh, component to it as well. Um, maybe you just need some friends to come alongside you well and support you and encourage you. Maybe you need a pastor to come alongside you and be a sort of spiritual friend and help you work through maybe sort of theological spiritual issues. And I think that's kind of what pastoral care can be at, at, at times is someone who's got maybe a little more training in theology and, and spirituality to help you think through, well, maybe there are some ideas about God or ideas about who you are in relationship to God that's afflicting you and, and maybe we can kind of change that a little bit, not as a, a sort of silver bullet, um, and maybe there are other issues as well that we should get the whole team together to help you work with. But that certainly is, you know, one, one component of, I think, the, the, the challenges that face us. And I think in the um, kind of maybe in the modern world, the contemporary evangelical world, we've, we've tended to do ourselves a disservice by either overestimating the role of sin in our challenges or underestimating the role of sin in our, in our challenges. Um, so I think we've overestimated at times by thinking that, you know, there's only one solution to any sort of emotional, emotional um, psychological challenge I'm facing, and that's like sin, and I need to get rid of the sin, and, and if I do that, then like, then I'll be totally healed. And then you, you do that, and you confess, and you like pray, and, you, and, and you're still afflicted, and it's still, and it's still you know, with you. Well, maybe what you need there is you need to have other 
things come alongside of you, other aspects of therapy and, and ministry and whatnot, to help you with these challenges, because it's not just one thing, it's, uh, it's part of a, a whole nexus of, of challenges that faces. So we've overestimated sin by thinking, like, if I just deal with this, then all my problems are going to go away. But I think we also sometimes underestimate sin by thinking that all of our challenges can be addressed without having to confess or without having to think about the sin that afflicts us. So um, I, I just sort of think that if when, we, uh, when we have challenges, whether it's uh, whatever it is, emotional, uh, mental, psychological, even physical, why not take kind of an all-of-the-above approach, a multifaceted approach? Um, go, to, go to your therapist and, and get therapy. Go to your, 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 your doctor and get physical help. Go to your priest and get spiritual help as well. And then this is part of a multifaceted approach to how we might think of human flourishing in the light of Christ. Because then, next point here, I, I think what confession is at, at, at the base, at the foundation, is it's the gospel. It's the gospel. This is what, this is what the gospel says, 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And 1 John 1.19, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Do you guys know that? <laughs> that's the foundation. That's, that's what we got going on here. We are sinners. We have these challenges. We have these afflictions from our own um, uh, uh, from our own doing, from what we've inherited from our first parents. We're sinners, and as Christ, as Paul says, the wages of sin is death. But Paul goes to go on to say, the free gift of God is eternal life. So we're not destined for death. We have we have the possibility of eternal life. And if we confess our sins, God is faithful and He's just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So rather than some kind of, um, I don't know, sort of like Hollywood way of getting rid of your mafia hits or some kind of like transactional sort of a thing by which you, you, know, you transfer your debt of your sin to somebody else or whatnot, really confession and reconciliation is, is it's the gospel. It is we are sinners, and if we confess our sins, we can receive the forgiveness that Christ has won for us on the cross, on the cross and through his resurrection, as we'll be meditating on in this, in this season. And so I, I love how this, um, uh, how the prayer book, our prayer book here, situates reconciliation under the heading of the rights of healing. So this is then in your prayer book there on page 222 and 223. Uh, rights, of course, R-I-T-E-S, just being like kind of rituals or practices that we do. And you'll see that there are, um, there's a couple of rights of healing within here. Um, um, reconciliation of penitence, but also ministry to the sick and then communion for the sick as well. And I think this is a lovely kind of picture of the prayer book's approach to the multifaceted nature of the challenges that we face. Sometimes we have physical ailments, and we need healing from those. And we have liturgies. We have prayers for that. Uh, in the epistle of James, he says, you know, when you're, when you're sick, call the elders to anoint you and pray for you. Um, but likewise, do we have sort of spiritual sickness we might see, um, might, might think of as well. And this is where reconciliation comes in uh, to the fore. So Christianity is about body and soul, and both our bodies and souls are, are stricken with, with sin and our, and our finitude and our mortality, and, and we need healing in both of our bodies and in our, in our souls. Uh, the, the collect for the second Sunday of Lent, I think, kind of captures this well. Let me, let me read this for you. Uh, so in a couple weeks, we'll pray this prayer. Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. 
keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I love that. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly um, in, our, in our souls. And so this, uh, this specific um, right here is, is lodged within or is located within the rites of, of healing, healing from our spiritual, um, spiritual sickness. Now, one of the key components of the confession rite and also the way we experience confession on, on Sundays and in the daily office is, is the absolution. And so if you look on page 224 at the top there where it says then, then the priest declares, and there's two forms for an absolution right here, or like I'll do in a few moments here when we get to the liturgy where I say something like, Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the absolution there in the, in the liturgy. And this is the pronouncement of, of forgiveness. So question 149 there from the, the catechism on your handout. In absolution, a priest acting under God's authority pronounces God's forgiveness in response to repentance and confession of sin. So this then is then we, how we receive the grace or how the grace is mediated to us and applied to us. Um, we receive God's forgiveness in response to our repentance and confession. And what's, the, what's necessary to receive the grace? Question 151. Um, sometimes we talk about necessity, and, and I, like, necessity makes me a little bit nervous, I suppose, sometimes. I'm not, you know, is there, is it, there's not a magic word or a magic formula or what, what have you. What's required here, though, as, as the catechism says, what's necessary? Repentance, in which I intend to resist further sin, accept responsibility for my actions, and endeavor to repair damages I have caused, damage I have caused. Repentance and faith by which I thankfully receive God's forgiveness. So what's necessary to receive the grace that comes in absolution, either on Sunday morning or in following this rite? Repentance, where you say, I'm turning away from my sin, I acknowledge my sin, I acknowledge my, my, uh, my shortcomings, my wretchedness, as the prayer book says at times, I acknowledge that I have done wrong. Um, and I intend to, re- to resist sin, to accept responsibility, to endeavor to repair damages, and I have faith to faithfully, to thankfully receive God's forgiveness. And these are the two components there. What's not required are like magic words or anything. What's required is an internal change, I think, by the Holy Spirit working in you to give you this spirit of repentance and the faith to receive that which God is offering you. But that kind of necessity language there kind of um, uh, uh, does raise questions about, like, well, do, do I have to do this? Like, who's the one that has to do this sort of thing? Here's this little Anglican quip that you might sometimes heard around here, here around. Uh, who, who's, who should confess? Well, all may, none must, some should. I love that. I think that was uh, laughed out loud when I heard it the first time. So all may, so, and all are invited to participate in confession and absolution. All, all Christians are welcome to come to confess. All people are welcome to confess your, confess your sins. That's how you become a Christian, is to acknowledge your sin and to seek forgiveness from, from Christ. So all, all may, but no one must. This is not a requirement that you come specifically to a, 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 a service or a rite of confession or reconciliation. I think it's a requirement for Christians to confess their sins, but to participate in this rite specifically that's not a requirement or of a necessity. But then the text, uh, then, then the, the quip goes, but, but some should. 
And, and why? Some should. Well, I think it's because it's, of great, it's potentially of great benefit to you to participate in this. Not that you should because God needs some kind of like, you know, transaction on the ledger to go a certain different direction or what have you. Rather, you should because it can be a great benefit um, uh, to you. Um, yeah, so I have this little uh, line one of my uh, mentoring priests said about church membership. He said, there's no benefits to membership, only obligations, which I thought was great. So, like, the church isn't a country club, you know, where you can, like, you know, pay dues and get, like, extra time with the rector or something like that. Like, all pastoral care, all the preaching, everything is, like, available to anyone. But if you become a member of a parish, then you've got obligations. Then you're supposed to show up, and you're supposed to serve, and you're supposed to tithe, and you're supposed to give of your talent. So membership entails benefit, uh, no benefits, only obligations. I think confession is kind of like the opposite of that. There's no obligation, only benefits. I'm not, you know, there's no, there's no giant, um, you know, board in the back that shows who's been confessing and who hasn't or anything like that. There's no obligation. There's only potentially benefits for you and for your, um, for your soul. It doesn't help God. It helps us. Now, what about confessing, like, to whom? To, to whom do you, can you confess? Or ought you confess? Or may you confess? <laughs> So I think on, on, on one level, confessing to God is like the bare minimum, the bare level. You should tell God regularly, maybe daily, that you've sinned and that you intend to repent and you intend to make amends and that you seek God's forgiveness. And you should also then have faith that what Christ has done on the cross, what Christ has brought in his incarnation and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his glorification all applies to you, and you can receive that with thanks, and your sins have been washed clean. That's a baseline. But also there's another sort of level in which we can confess to one another. Someone we've actually, like, wronged, you know, what's this, is a, your, your roommate or your spouse or your kids or your parents, what have you. It's important and healthy to confess to them to work on that, taking that step of, of reconciling between you and that other, that other person. But also... It could be a benefit, and I think it is a benefit, to confess to, um, to a minister. And this practice stems from a couple passages in Scripture, one of which is uh, John 20, 23, which I've included there. My translation is what I included. So um, the text says this. If you free, so, so Jesus here, this, uh, sorry, context. That's always key, right? Context. Jesus is, is talking to the disciples. Uh, he's in the upper room after the resurrection. It's when he like, you know, comes in there through the locked doors and everything. Thomas isn't there yet, so it's, it's his like, Sunday night, you know, on, on Easter Sunday night, and the disciples are all kind of like freaked out. And Jesus, um, uh, he, he says this. He says, uh, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Verse 22, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And verse 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, they, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain any, they are retained. So I think this is a particular um, um, calling, a particular vocation, a particular ministry that Jesus gave to his disciples, to his uh, followers, and to those to whom they would then go on to, to certify as ministers in Christ's church as well. But I think what we need to, uh, to make a little distinction here, and that's what I have on the handout, so we can do a little bit of logic here. We've got some philosophers here. So um, I think you can reduce this statement or, or, or translate this statement into all sins that you forgive are sins that are forgiven. 
So all the sins that the ministers, those standing in line of, of Christ's uh, initial teachers, initial followers and students forgive are sins that are forgiven. But that doesn't entail that all sins must be confessed to a minister in order to be forgiven. So there's trying to find this like middle ground between like what is necessary and what is beneficial. I don't think it's necessary like for your salvation or something to confess to me. But it is beneficial because those sins that you do confess to a minister, to a priest, are sins that are forgiven. And that's of great benefit, I think, to us. Because in a sense, that's kind of about, it's about our competence. It's about our having faith, I mean, confidence, con, fides, with faith. If we're going to receive the forgiveness of God, if we're going to receive the grace, we need to do so with faith. And one way to get faith is to... Um, uh, is to be assured or encouraged or, um, uh, yeah, otherwise have your faith encouraged by, by someone else. Um, I had a, a professor, uh, a, actually a philosophy professor, who wrote a book on self-deception, and the title was I Told Me So, which I thought was a great title for a book. <laughs> it's on self-deception. I, I told me so. Um, Back to kind of like these, this tension, we can tell ourselves things that we can both like believe too much or not believe enough. You know, when you confess solo, so to speak, to God, and you remind yourself, okay, yeah, I'm forgiven, it's really easy to, to doubt that, at least for me. I find myself really uh, liable to doubt something like that. It's like, yeah, well, I, I just told myself I was forgiven, but am I really? Did I, did, did I confess enough? Did I, did I, did I feel bad enough? On the other side, we can sometimes let ourselves off the hook more than we ought to. Oh, yeah, I confess that. I'm done with it. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I did it again. I'm done with that. Oh, I did it. You know, we have this sort of like habitual nature to some of our sin that we can just kind of keep forgiving ourselves. And so we lose confidence. We, we lose faith in our ability to tell ourselves the truth about what Christ has done and how that applies to us. Yeah. Yeah, good. That's great. So I do think that we have some sort of like um, um, meta or like ultimate or like mega sort of like forgiveness that when we become a Christian, those sins have been washed away and the work of the Holy Spirit through baptism um, unites us to Christ in a way that is, uh, that, that is, that is, that is sure and, and is secure. And yet we're talking about the debris that clouds up our lives and clogs up our lives. I think some of this debris is removed and, and, and washed away when we go through, con, when we go through our, these kind of confessions. I don't know, what's, what's the analogy there? It's like we get all these like, rocks in the river and then we kind of like, you know, we confess our sins and it kind of like blasts them off and the, and the river can like keep flowing in a more sort of like a sure fashion or something like that. I think that's the, I think that's the case. Um, so where I was going with that was the, the benefit that we have um, that we can have when we confess to someone else because we're not as liable to doubt, to, to lose faith, to lose confidence when you have someone, you know, standing across from you, looking at you in the eye and saying, the Lord has put away all your sins. And that's a, that's a word from God. It's a true word from God. It's a true word from God that, that is, you know, true from Christ's death itself. 
but it's a word we need to hear, I think, all the time. And it's a word we can tell ourselves, but there's just something, something deeper, something more rich about hearing that from someone else. There's this, um, uh, the exhortation is this, uh, this part of our liturgy that we do a few times a year, um, and it's a little bit heavy, and we're going to do it next week because we often do it at the beginning of, um, of Lent, Advent, and Trinity time. And, uh, and, it, and it says this, um, uh, I'll read a little bit longer version here. Uh, Therefore judge yourselves, lest you be judged by the Lord. First, examine your life by the rule of God's commandments. Wherever you've offended, either by thought, word, or deed, confess your sins to Almighty God with the full intention to amend your life. Be ready to make restitution for all injuries and wrongs you've done to others, and also be ready to forgive others who've offended you. But if you come here today, imagine this is in a service, if you come here today with a troubled conscience and you need help and counsel, come to me or some other priest and confess your sins that you may receive godly counsel, direction, and absolution. To do so will both satisfy your conscience and remove any scruples or doubt. Again, benefits there, not obligation. Why would you do this? Well, according to the exhortation, to satisfy your conscience, to put your conscience at, at peace, to put yourself at peace, and to remove the scruples or the doubt that you might have as you diminish, as you maybe have a lack of, of faith or a lack of acceptance of the work that Christ has done for you. So maybe there's some kind of like motivations or you know, rationale for why we do this. What about the, the how-tos? And this is where the, uh, we can just look at the liturgy here on page 223. How-to. Well, before you get to that, we want to look at the preparation. I think it's a beneficial thing to do to prepare yourself to confess. Either prepare yourself for what you're going to do on a Sunday morning or prepare yourself for what you do in the daily office, or specifically if you come to do the rite of reconciliation to do some steps of preparation and how to think about what it is that you would wish to confess. Um, and here, here are some, I think, uh, sort of guides by which you might examine yourself. As the, as, the, as the exhortation says, examine your life by the rule of God's commandments. And, of course, we have the distillation of the law that we hear every Sunday, or typically every Sunday, uh, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summation of all the law. Um, you should examine yourself by the rule of those two commandments. Have you been loving God and loving your neighbor? If you want to uh, spell that out a little bit more specificity, you can look at the Ten Commandments, of which the summary of the law is the summary, and which we'll be saying uh, or chanting here during our, our Lent time. And the, the Ten Commandments provide this sort of rubric by which you might kind of think about your life and examine your life. No other gods, uh, no idols, not taking the Lord's name in vain, keeping the Sabbath um, uh, holy. These are all sort of like love God, God-directed sorts of commandments there, and then we sort of pivot to love your neighbor kind of commandments, like honor your parents, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lying, no coveting. And so that can kind of be like a guide by which you take some time to think about how, how have I been doing the last whatever, week, month, year, lifetime, and are there specific things that can help me that I, that I need to, you know, that I need to get off my chest. I also find this is more from tradition, not from um, uh, scripture, but the, the seven capital vices and the, the seven capital virtues are ways of kind of helping you to think about the various 
um, categories in which one might find your sins. So the, the vices like gluttony, lust, greed, envy, wrath, sloth, and pride. Again, Hollywood has done some numbers with those as well, right? Because remember that movie Seven? That was good. Don't watch that movie. That's a tough one. Um, and then also the seven virtues, faith, hope, and love being the three theological virtues, and then prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude being the sort of cardinal virtues coming from the um, uh, secular realm. Now, again, this is just sort of like a, a, a rubric or like a guide, an aid to help you to think about, wow, what are the areas that maybe I've been falling short in? What are the areas that perhaps I haven't been um, you know, living up to my commitment to love God and love my neighbor? Um, what have I committed, especially, and then also what have I omitted? And we have that uh, language, too, in the prayer book as well, sins of omission as well as sins of commission. And it's a reminder that even failing to do something can fall under the rubric of, uh, of sin. But again, once you um, have done this sort of preparation, part of the preparation as well, after examining yourself, is then to repent and have faith. And that repentance kind of should come before. In fact, it's the repentance that should lead you to want to confess in the first place. It is the desire to turn from your sin that should um, motivate us to try to clear away the debris of our sin that has been afflicting us, and then to receive the free grace of God of the forgiveness that he has given to us, and embrace that then with faith. Receive it anew, receive it again, receive it um, afresh. Um, and then look at the, page 223, as I said here, what does this, this uh, look like here? And this can be, you know, this can be relatively brief. So, I mean, if, if I were to do this with you, or if you were to do this with Father Rob, or what have you, we might come into here, it would be private, it would be, you know, only, only the, the, the two of us here. And we go through this little liturgy here, where the penitent um, says, bless me for I've sinned, and the priest offers this prayer, which is a lovely prayer, I think. The Lord be in your heart and upon your lips, that, that you may truly and humbly confess your sins. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the penitent, those who are coming for um, confession, says these lines here. And then where it says especially, and then there's like a, a line there, that's where one can enumerate any specific sins that, are, that you wish to clear the debris, clear them, uh, that specific debris that you're wishing to clear away. Um, and that's where you might use the various rubrics you've uh, used in your preparation to delineate or, or specify some of those um, sins. And then you ask, well, there's this sort of commitment here, too. I pray for, for mercy. I firmly intend amendment of life. I beg forgiveness of God and his church and ask for counsel, direction, and absolution. And that kind of language comes right from the exhortation, as we saw earlier. And at that point, the priest may or may not, may offer counsel, direction, and comfort, which is a reminder that this isn't supposed to be some kind of like gotcha kind of a thing. It's not a wagging your finger, you're so bad sort of a thing. It is a, let me comfort you with the, the comfortable words that we have in our liturgy. The comfort is that, yes, you, you've sinned, but Christ died for you. you. You are saved. You have received the forgiveness of sins. You're not condemned to death but instead you have union with Christ by means of the Holy Spirit that gives you eternal life. That should be of our, of our greatest comfort. And that's why I see this as just an enactment of or a manifestation of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and his incarnation and his ascension, a resurrection and ascension as well. And then 
it comes to in the middle page of 224, one, just my favorite line, as I said earlier, the Lord has put away all your sins. Thanks be to God. And then a prayer, and the priest says, go in peace and pray for me, a sinner, which I think is a really helpful reminder that even the priest to whom you're confessing is a sinner just like you. We're all in the same boat. We're all uh, in need of a savior. We're all in need of Jesus. And by the grace of God, we seek him together, and we seek him, um, and, and we seek to help one another um, as well. Let me just make a couple con- uh, quick comments here, uh, a sidebar here on the, the seal of the confessional, something you might hear um, sometimes. So um, here's from our canons. These are like the official rules of our, of our diocese. Um, looking at section three there, the seal of the confessional confession is absolute, <clears throat> inviolable, and therefore is absolutely forbidden for a confessor to betray in any way a penitent in word or in any manner for any reason. Excuse me. That is, when we enter into the sacrament of confession, when we do this right, when you start off there with, bless me for I have sinned, this becomes like an impenetrable um, moment wherein the priest is under canonical obligation here to never share anything with anyone that has come up in the course of confession. And in most priest practice, mine as well, not even with you later on. <laughs> it's like this, this stays right here completely without any violation on pain of, uh, of canonical violations that would be very severe. Um, it, it goes under here. Um, there are never any circumstances, this is going on in, in section three, not on your handout, uh, in, which the communicate may un- in which the communications made under the seal between a penitent and a confessor may be disclosed directly or indirectly or to a third party, even a third party who purports to act under the color of ecclesiastical or legal authority. Now what this is, I think, trying to help you to understand, help the penitent understand, help me to understand, is this is a sacred moment. This is a, a holy moment. And that the penitent needs to feel as free confessing to a priest as they do confessing to Almighty God. And that there is nothing that can violate that, that sacred bond. Now, let me say something, though, a little bit about mandated reporting and that sort of uh, 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 issues of abuse and, and whatnot. As, uh, as clergy, uh, we are mandated reporters. That is, if we hear instances of any sort of abuse, child abuse going on, we're required by the state of Illinois, rightfully, I think, in my mind, to contact the authorities and to report those kinds of things. Um, and it's, uh, it's a responsibility that I take seriously, and I know we all here at All Souls take that seriously as well. Um, if those come up in the course of anything outside of um, the seal of the confession, that obligation is on us. So if you were talking beforehand and you say, you know, this is, uh, yeah, I might explain this to you as I hear, here's you know, the, the circumstances under which, you know, I might report something, and, and if you have anything you want to report, or this is going to come up, like I, we're going to need to talk about that, and I'm going to need to go to the authorities if it has to do with anything uh, that falls under that, under that rubric. Once the sacrament starts, however, that is no longer applicable in, in, well, I think according to our canonical obligations. What is, however, applicable is the ecclesiastical authority that you've then submitted yourself to in that situation there. 
And if you were, in, just as speaking frank, in the course of the confession to confess something, um, something heinous, something um, uh, horrible, I will still remind you of God's forgiveness of your sins, but I'll say we need to go down to the police office, police station right now and address this, or, or we need to go somewhere to address this. And I'm going to go with you. I'm going to walk with you in this, but this is not going to be the kind of thing that we can just leave alone right here. And that will be a manner of ongoing and continued pastoral care and requirement. Because I think what's required, remember before, is repentance. And repentance includes an intent to repair the damages that have been done. And so rather than seeing this as a sort of strict kind of like legal situation, this is actually a very important spiritual situation. And I think that the, what's necessary for showing true repentance is the intent to repair the damages. And if there are heinous damages, we don't need to illustrate all the damages that could be done to individuals because of one sin, um, then it becomes a matter not just of like legal but of spiritual necessity to seek to make amends in any way that that entails, including bringing in legal authorities, the police, and et cetera. So that's to say that the seal is, is inviolable to give you the confidence that you're speaking with God. But if there are crimes, there are um, issues that, are, um, that need to be addressed, the priest should go with you, we'll go with you, I'll go with you to address those kinds of uh, issues in order to repair the damage that's been done. All right, now just wrapping up here briefly here, I know that was a little bit heavy here. Um, uh, what do we do afterwards then? Um, well, repair the damage I have caused. I call this Protestant penance here. So it's not penance in the sense of like, uh, you have to do this in order to receive forgiveness. Remember, you already received forgiveness. But the, the, the prayer book gives us these three sort of like, um, I think gives us three sort of ways to engage with our sin after the fact. And this is what might occur during the, the, the counsel and comfort and absolution sort of section in there. So the priest might say, well, let's, let's think about ways to repair the damage. Let's think about ways to give thanks. Let's think about ways to build better habits. So sin damages our relationship with God, and it often damages our relationship with one another. And so a priest might assign or ask you, to reconcile with someone whom you've hurt. If you come and say, look, I'm you know, really angry, <laughs> you know, all kinds of stuff going on with me and this person here, you might say, okay, let's, let's think of a way to repair the damage that you've done in that relationship with that individual. Um, you know, the peace in our liturgy is actually representative of that. You know, the peace comes right after absolution, after you receive the comfortable words. It's not like greeting time or like hangout time. It's time after you've confessed and received absolution to go to someone who maybe you're not at peace with and to be reconciled with them. It's not like say hello, it's, I'm, a, it's a, I'm sorry moment there. Or it's to say, hey, we are cool, actually. You know, we are at peace with one another. So likewise, after going through the right, might say, go make peace with this individual. Also, as I, uh, I think another way to receive this is by giving thanks. Um, so our response to forgiveness should be worship and, and, and should be gratitude. And so um, healing is like, uh, uh, well, it's, it, in the spiritual sense, it's kind of like the physical. So listen to this. This is from, from when Jesus healed one of the lepers. Uh, he healed a leper, and Jesus said to him, uh, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. 
So offering, offering a gift, giving thanks, is a way of receiving and uh, the forgiveness that we have given and responding appropriately to that. And then thirdly, building better habits. So some sin, I think, is habitual. Uh, and habits can be broken, and they can hopefully be replaced with better ones. Now, this is where I think kind of like saying the X number of Hail Marys or Our Fathers in the Roman tradition kind of comes from, trying to build better habits. Um, and, and I think Prayer is a good way of building better habits. Saying a psalm might be a good way of building better habits. Uh, reading passages of scripture might be a good way of building better habits. I'm not sure there's a, a certain number of times one needs to do that sort of a thing, but this is another kind of opportunity that you might have to respond to the forgiveness that you have received in order to um, show that with confidence you have repented and you have, you have faith. So in summation here, confession, I think, is the gospel. It's not necessary to confess to a minister, but can be beneficial as a means of healing. And you can prepare yourself, examining yourself in the light of scripture and the distillations from the tradition. You come in faith and with repentance and come to commit to repair the damage of your sins, to give thanks, and to build better habits after the fact. Yeah. Good, thanks, Jim. Yeah, that hasn't been a habit here at All Souls. I'm hoping to build that habit. So um, on our Lenten retreat, we're actually going to make that available. I'll be there at our Lenten retreat on the 10th and 11th, I think it is, um, and we'll set aside some time where you can come and do confession. I'm also thinking, well, planning on having um, time on the afternoon of Good Friday to come and do the confession as well. And I'd like to build a habit of offering this uh, at least three times a year. As I mentioned before, we, we say the exhortation at least three times um, after the first Sunday of Lent after Trinity Sunday and after the first Sunday of Advent. That'd be a good time, it seems like to me, to kind of offer that in a public sort of forum. We can just sort of like, you know, come and we can have kind of like office hours, so to speak, and confession hours or whatnot. But also, you're very welcome to just like contact me and we can do confession as well. As I mentioned, there's kind of like um, uh, different times when to confess. A, a life confession could be like if you've never done confession, you want to like just get it all off your chest. We can do that, but like make sure you set an appointment up for me. That's not going to be the thing we can do right before a service or something like that. The regular confession that occurs you know, weekly in the liturgy and maybe seasonally as offered, as I'm going to try to offer it during Advent, Lent, and Trinity Tide. And then occasional confession might be just you got a particular situ- particular sin you want to confess. And that might be as simple as, you know, I've done confession for people where it's as simple as five minutes, you know, and just wanted to get something, you know, out there. And, and, and that's great, too. And I'm, you know, happy to do that. And I haven't okayed with Rob, but I think Rob would be okay with doing that uh, as well. But just be a matter of contacting us in order to uh, set that up. So look for it if, if, if this is of interest to you for at the Lenten Retreat and coming up on Good Friday um, as the nearest opportunities. But again, also as part of sort of pastoral care and, and spiritual care at any point as well. Just uh, call me up, drop me an email, send me a text, and we'll, uh, we'll have a meeting to do that. All right, thanks. Sorry to have more time for questions, but I've got to go run and get ready for this liturgy. Thanks. <laughs>